And it is that law that keeps us when we are in the midst of temptation. So we read here that God saw that he was just, God saw that he was vexed, and God saw that he walked uprightly. He was a law keeper. And in that situation of Sodom, where everything seemed to be upside down, topsy-turvy, where the, the, the place had gone mad after sin, the thing that kept Lot was the law of God. Without the law, Lot would have been in confusion. He would have no standard. He would not have a platform to know what is right and what is wrong. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gulliher. It is a joy to have you here, and I trust the Lord will draw near and bless His own Word, as today we deal with the subject of the Lord delivering from temptation. Temptation comes in many forms, and it knocks at our heart's door seeking entrance. Sin, however, is not the tempter coming to our door but it is when we open the door and entertain that temptation, then we invite it in and are defeated by it by our own wrongdoing. However, we live in a world where there is temptation all around us, and we need the Lord's delivering power to keep us in that hour of temptation. I want to read to you here from Second Peter chapter 2 and of Lot who was that just man living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed and with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government, Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Well, here is the tempter's power. But, oh, we rejoice as Christians that we have the Lord's power to protect us. And today's message uh, is on the very subject of the Lord keeping his people in the face of various evils and temptation. And if you today are sensing the attack of the devil, the lusts of your own flesh, you need to learn to wrestle in the strength of the Lord. Let's unite in prayer for a moment and ask the Lord to draw near and give grace and strength. Father, we thank thee today that there is victory in Jesus that at the cross our Lord Jesus bruised Satan's head, destroyed his power, and gives the victory to your people. 
We ask that you will come and bless the preaching of your word today, and that each hearer will hear words of grace, words of encouragement, words of life and power that will lead each one into the victory that is in the name and in the crosswork of the Lord Jesus. So send your Holy Spirit to open hearts and minds and lead us each one into the sweetness, into the blessedness of faith and trust in the very name of our Lord Jesus. Let that work be done in hearts today, and we pray for the power and blessing of God to be upon your word. In the Savior's name, amen. Back to Second Peter 2, and as I mentioned before I switched the, the Bible reading, it's been three weeks since we were here in chapter 2, and I need to remind you the text that we ended at, and I promised we would take a whole sermon to preach, and that is verse 9. Chapter 2 of Second Peter, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. This is an absolutely great statement. God's ability to deliver the righteous. And you can see immediately how this statement on God delivering the, God, the godly is embedded in the whole history of Lot. Indeed, right here in this passage, Lot is a mean example, character that God is using that he can judge the wicked, but on the other side, he also delivers the righteous. And on the day when God visits, it will matter if you're a Christian. It will really, really matter. And that's the message that we have here tonight. Now, it turned out that Lot was the only man in Sodom who was righteous. The whole lifestyle of these Sodomites was so debauched, so depraved, so wicked, that continually Lot was grieved with their lifestyle, and he was vexed, we are told. Now, left to themselves, of course, they were living miserable lives. Sodom may have been advertised as the glory city. It may have been advertised of as glamorous place, but the life of men and women in that city was absolutely miserable. And when pen, men and women turn away from God, it always leads to cruelty, to violence, and to misery. And we read of that, how the crowd came around the door, the violence. They were ready to murder that they might pursue their own lust. Now, verse 8 in chapter 2 gives us, and you'll notice that it's in brackets. Our translators have put verse 8 into brackets because it's like a little commentary on the man Lot. And we're told here that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing. Now, you can imagine the pressures that were brought to bear on Lot to conform. He stuck out 
as we would say, like a sore thumb. He was a man out of step, out of sync, out of lifestyle, and therefore he was a man under tremendous pressure as people uh, turned away from God. Now, while the story is horrid, and the life of Lot is not to be commended, and we would warn anyone, young people or older, do not do what Lot did. Don't make decisions based on the green pasture of merely eyesight, but be sure that you're in God's will, and be sure you're making the righteous choice, not just the fleshly choice. But nevertheless, Lot, even though he walked into this situation, God was faithful, and God declares now that he is able to deliver the righteous. Now, it'd be very hard for us to imagine uh, a Christian being the only one in a whole city, but maybe not. I'm sure there might be some here tonight, and you find that being a Christian can be a very lonely experience at school, college, university, workplace, and you seek to walk for, and live for God. You will be mocked. You will be reproached and you will find that it might be a very lonely walk indeed. And perhaps what's even more distressful to the Christian today, you will find that there will be those who will profess the name of the Lord Jesus. They say, Lord, Lord, but they don't do the things that he says. They take maybe a neutral position and say, well, that's the way they want to live. Let them be. They take a, a very laissez-faire approach, and they say, who are we to judge? And they fall into the very trap of toleration to all things. Now, the pressures of being a lone Christian in an increasingly oppressive world that we're living in today can be very oppressive. It can even be soul-destroying. What are the odds of anyone doing today what Lot did and still remaining righteous and have anything like a testimony? Uh, maybe you feel at times like giving up and say, what's the point? We're losing ground on all scores, whether it's general society, government, education. It seems that the Christian, no matter how he protests or stands up for truth, loses the battle. And even in religious circles, the markers are being reset. And that firm line that used to be between right and wrong, good and evil, is more and more blurred and obscured. How do you keep going? And the answer, of course, is only with God's help, only with God's delivering, keeping grace. Now, see Peter's message of encouragement. And I want you to see this, that he is encouraging his readers. Now, he has spent some time warning the false prophets, the false teachers, the seducers, those who will corrupt in so many ways. And then he gives these examples of corruption uh, in Lot and the city of Sodom. 
But the message is one of encouragement. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And you might think that, well, God has to send in a SWAT team of angels as he did to into Sodom and get his man out. And that's the way he's going to keep you in your daily walk in this world. Well, we know that's not going to happen. So how does God keep his people in a sinful and an increasingly wicked world? What are the odds for the church and for the Christian who wants to have a testimony for Christ and live in the center of God's will? Well, let me give you a few pointers that I think come out of this very text tonight. Firstly, God delivers his people with an all-seeing eye. God's eye was upon Lot every single day that he lived in that wicked city. And God put a difference between the righteous and the wicked. It is obvious from these statements that God had knowledge of Lot. He had a testimony. It says in verse 8 that he was a righteous man. Then it also says that he was the just man, verse 7. So, God had his eye upon his man Lot. God marked him. God tracked him. God pursued him every day that he lived in that evil city. And here's something that we need to take note of tonight, that no one can get lost in the crowd. Now, if you're in a big city, and I suppose our city is uh, included as a big city, but if you're down in the streets of Vancouver or any other city, and there's just hundreds and thousands of people around you, you may get the notion, I can do anything I like. Nobody knows me, nobody sees me, and I can just get lost in the crowd. And maybe the tempter came to Lot and would have said to Lot, in this culture, who cares? Just go with the flow. Just do what everybody else does. Stop swimming against the current and just relax and do what everyone else is doing. But we see here that God marked this righteous man and noted that he was vexed by the things that he heard and the things that he saw. God read his heart. He knew the attitude, the mindset of his heart. As Lot witnessed these devilish, debauched things before his eyes, you can imagine the advertisements in the city. You can imagine the open, flagrant sin that was to be witnessed. It grieved his heart, and God noticed. God noticed. And that's one of the first things, if you know that, in your school, workplace, wherever, God's eye is upon you, and he witnesses whether you are cheering on the wicked or whether you're burdened and you are distressed in the midst of it. The other thing we know about God seeing Lot is that God heard Abram's prayer for the righteous. You remember how he prayed for the 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, and he was praying for the righteous. Can you destroy the city if there be 10 righteous? And Abram, for some reason, left off praying at 10, but there was still one man. And God 
could not destroy the city until Lot was out. God saw him, and God heard prayer for the righteous in that city. We can learn from this that God takes note of every believer's position in this world. He notes the struggles. He notes the burden, the grief that we bear. And as parents, we see this in our children. We see their sins. We see their love of the world. We see the lust that creeps into the heart. And it brings tears to parents' hearts brings a great burden. And God notes, and God hears the prayers of parents as we plead that God will not destroy them, but rather God will have mercy on them. Now, God delivers us by teaching us that his eye is ever upon us. And that in itself is a curb to evil and an encouragement to maintain a testimony for God. The second thing I will draw from this text tonight is that God delivers his people by the application of the moral law. We have read two times here, verse 7, that he was just Lot, and then in verse 8, that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul. Now, what is it that makes a man righteous? That means he's right with God. How are we made right? Well, we know in salvation we're made right by the, the work of Calvary. We are justified by faith, and we are made just in God's sight. But we're talking here about lifestyle. We're talking here about a man who lived for God in the midst of iniquity, and he was called a righteous man. What was it that made Lot cease from evil and persevere to do good. Well, the moral law of God. And it is that law that keeps us when we are in the midst of temptation. So we read here that God saw that he was just, God saw that he was vexed, and God saw that he walked uprightly. He was a law keeper. And in that situation of Sodom, where everything seemed to be upside down, topsy-turvy, where the, the, the place had gone mad after sin, the thing that kept Lot was the law of God. Without the law, Lot would have been in confusion. He would have no standard. He would not have a platform to know what is right and what is wrong. And we see this now. Peter, when he is uh, expounding on this, he lays down this principle. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, but the unjust, there's the opposite, the godly versus the unjust. They are reserved to the day of judgment to be punished, and then you'll notice their lifestyle. And very much the remainder of this chapter is a commentary on the lifestyle of men and women without God. They walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, despise government, presumptuous self-will. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities, and so on. And 
Verse 13, they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. Verse 14, eyes full of adultery. Verse 15, which have forsaken the right way. Now, how do we know what is the right way? And in a world of immorality, a world when people say there is no right and wrong, how does a Christian know what is the right way? Well, we're back to the moral law. We're back to that inflexible, that sure, fixed, concrete, absolute truth of God's law. And of course, it's summarized in the Ten Commandments. You want to know what's right or wrong? Well, those Ten Commandments, when they're all fleshed out, they give us to know the law of God. Now, how do you know what is right in a lawless age? It's the law of God. And we must not, the church must not fall into the slippery slope of saying, well, we're under grace, we're no longer under law. And that's the Apostle Paul's argument, Romans 6, God forbid, that's his, his response. And that ought to be our response tonight. We must not, as we see sin encroaching and evil advancing, we must say, well, it must be okay. No, God forbid. And because we're Christians, because we're redeemed by the blood, and we're justified by grace, it does not mean that we now have a license to sin. God forbid. Never let it happen. That's the response of the Apostle Paul. And in Romans 7, repeatedly, the Apostle and here's the man that preached justification. He is the expositor of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But in Romans 7, he expounds that the law of God is good, it is necessary, it is right. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and I do appreciate you joining with us for the program today. The burden of the message has been on the essential nature of the law of God, that we may stand against the confusion of the immorality, the humanism that is all around us. When evil men are saying, and some perhaps on the edge of gray are saying that, well, we cannot know. We cannot be sure. There is no right nor wrong. Well, if we get into that position, we have really lost the battle. I want to give you a couple of quotes from Mr. Spurgeon on this. He said, there is no point in which men make greater mistakes than on the relation which exists between the law and the gospel. Some men put the law instead of the gospel. Others put the gospel instead of the law. A certain class maintains that the law and the gospel are mixed, and that partly by observance of the law and partly by God's grace, men are saved. These men understand not the truth and are false teachers. Mr. Spurgeon went on to say that the law is meant to convince and condemn that's all that the law can do. The law can never be a savior. It is like a mirror that reflects the image and shows the defilement. 
but it can never wash the person clean. It takes the Savior to do that. Well, I hope that you are grasping the essential nature of having the law preached and proclaimed that we might inform men that they are lost and sinners in God's sight. Sin, of course, is any want of conformity unto and transgression of the law of God. Mr. Spurgeon went on to say, I do not believe that any man can preach the gospel who does not preach the law. The law is the needle, and you cannot draw the silken thread of the gospel through a man's heart unless you first send the needle of the law to make way for it. If men do not understand the law, they will not feel that they are sinners. And if they are not consciously sinners, they will never value the sin offering. There is no healing a man till the law has wounded him, no making him alive till the law has slain him. And that is the essential work of the preaching of the whole counsel of God. There must be the thunderings of Sinai before anyone can understand Mount Calvary. Mount Sinai must bring condemnation to the sinner's heart before he can appreciate what Christ endured at the cross, the value of it, and the meaning of it through the power of Christ's sacrifice. The blood of Jesus is intended to satisfy the law of God, satisfy God's justice, and silence the law forever. And so we praise God today that the law can have nothing with me to do. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But sinners need to hear this. The unconverted man needs to know this, that without a Savior he is under the condemnation of the thundering law of God, and it's against him, condemning him. I pray that we might see the need to get back to preaching that is founded on the law, and the gospel that is not against law, but satisfied the law. That's what Jesus did in his death when he became sin for us and purchased redemption for us. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. Who added affliction, he added his mercy to multiply trials his multiplied peace his love has no limit his grace has no measure his power has no boundary you have been listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of this broadcast or would like to hear it again, you can go to ltbs.ca. You will also see ways you may support 
this gospel ministry. And you will find details about our church in Scarborough, where Pastor Larry Saunders is the minister. In Port Hope, where Reverend Reggie Cranston is the minister. In Barrie, where Reverend Anthony DiDerno is the minister. And in Buffalo, where Reverend Philone is the minister. You will find all their details at ltbs.ca. If I can be of personal help, I would love to open the Bible to talk and pray one-to-one with you so that you may know you are saved and sure of it. Call me at 604-897-2040 or email me at ltbsradio at gmail.com. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Until the same time next week on this station, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His loving care.